Golf's no different from hockey. Requires talent, self-discipline. Golf requires goofy pants and a fat ass. You should talk to my neighbor, the accountant, probably a great golfer, huge ass. How do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. It's a very, very special honor. I'm Paula Creamer, and you're listening. Well, we're waiting. Hi, this is Martin Cove, a.k.a. John Kreese from Cobra Kai. And you're listening to Quiet, Please. Let the word go out from here across the land. Let Daddy Noonan uh, approve. Hiya, boys. Nice day for golf, eh? Quiet, please. Oh, you got secrets, eh? Hey, this is Shooter McGavin. You're listening to the... Hey, you guys. Hey, we're trying to have a podcast over here. Legends, Myths, Sasquatch, The Yeti, Loch Ness Monster, and Anthony Kim. (laughs) <laughs> All topics to be talked about, I'm sure, this week. We've got that. We've got Charlie Woods. We've got Jake Knapp down in Mexico, Siesta. And I am Alan DePew, and I am joined by our panel this week with a legendary group of guests and hosts. Legendary because he is the 2024 PGA Teacher of the Year from Vanderbilt Legends Club, Joe Hallett. Welcome, Joseph. <laughs> thanks thanks for having me on i appreciate it absolutely <laughs> you'll notice i occasionally work in these segues using keywords there like legends also legendary <laughs> mr little Linksters himself also noted our author brendan elliott as always a pleasure sir good evening good evening as well and he's ever present mr q mixers himself Andy Hydorn. Yes, the Iron Man. Ready to bestow upon us right out of the gate, Andy. It's that time. Give us the live report. (laughs) The live report. Starting with that. Wow. I'm starting with show all by itself. But it it, it really is because let's let's be honest here. Anthony Kim, I'm I'm not I'm serious. It's, It's surreal his disappearance from the tour from golf world. The legendary mythical appearances at money games where he rattles off 12 birdies in Las Vegas. And, you know, he's he literally is Bagger Vance. <laughs> Randolph Juna and just and suddenly he's back for seven and a half million dollars. Yep. Well, I, I certainly have my negative role to play here that I'm more than happy to play. Um where is Christian? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I I do believe that there's uh, quite a bit of legendary um, exaggeration that's begun to go on with with Anthony Kim and and uh, you know I, I I think I think he's another example of one of those guys that's not cut from the cloth of your standard prototypical PGA Tour player and that's why a lot of people like him. Um, you know, one of our past guests, Mr. Austin Eaton, um, played him and beat him in the U.S. Amateur at Marion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I and I've I've got some friends here in Houston who actually were on uh, his golf team with him at the University of Oklahoma. And let's just say that that his unorthodox appearance is also true in the way that he kind of carries himself and behaves uh you know on and off the golf course um but i do i do feel like it's it's definitely injected some um kind of electricity into live this week which i think they need um and i think it'll be really interesting this week and and uh Shall I throw out the quiet please prop bet of the week right now? Yeah, well, no, not at the moment because I'm going to give you a chance to take a breath, right? Okay. Because I'm sure you've got more you can keep going with. But I'm going to throw it over there to uh, BE, and I got the question. You cutting edge technology right here, right? Up to the minute, we posed on our quiet please golf podcast Twitter. Uh, excuse me, X account, my bad. Uh, a cutting edge uh Question: Will AK's return to golf this week make you want to watch live golf more? Twenty percent yes, sixty mm-hmm. percent no. Twenty percent said yes, then no. I hate live. 
Well, you know, now that it's on the caffeine network tomorrow, I might as well tune in, you know? <laughs> I didn't that, Andy, that was Andy said, hey, Andy said appearance, and I'm not gonna lie to you, B. I'm little I mean, I know we all age, but my brother did not age very well. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I it was funny. One of my students tonight goes, Who's Anthony Kim? So I had I had to explain who Anthony Kim was and I had a hard time explaining. I'm just I like you had kind of pointed out in your opening. He is kind of this mythical beast for a lot of people. Um, and then I watched the clip on the way home. Uh, note to every listener, don't watch YouTube when you're driving home. But I watched the clip of him. <laughs> was it the practice round or something where he hit a T-ball and he asked if he could get a mulligan? Did you guys see that? Anybody no. see that? And he was wearing a t-shirt. He was wearing a t-shirt. A white t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So uh I will space not, for rent. <laughs> correct. I will not be tuning in. Um, but I may look at some of the clips uh after the fact. If he went if he plays well, which we've already had our side discussions in our group text, but if he plays well, I think that might kind of raise uh some views maybe later on down the road so so joe legends golf club there in nashville is a <coughs> pretty nice place you it's think fun. do you think they're letting anthony kim tee it up in terry claude shorts <laughs> and a white t-shirt <laughs> i'm not even happy about cargo shorts but i might back the conversation up a little bit oddly we did we had a corn ferry tour event uh, that was at another course very close to where we are, the Grove. And the people at the Grove got all excited. And now they're having a live event. And I can assure you the tour won't go anywhere near there for, you know, for more than one reason. But uh, so people in the Tennessee, Franklin and Nashville area get a chance to see Anthony down here. But can I throw this out for maybe some of the people that don't know all the history of this? I'm going to kind of tell you that I think Anthony Kim was the first guy to make a live move. If you really think about it, Ooh, because like with this. his injury, he yeah. had the opportunity to cash in on $10 million of insurance. And that stipulation was he couldn't play any tour, the European tour, the Australian tour. And I'll be darned, you know, they didn't have the live tour listed at that time. So God bless him for <laughs> He may have double dipped into the live if that's even humanly possible at some that's, point. That is but 18th it, that key worthy is, right there. I yeah. like that. That and is it's, 18th key worthy. <laughs> his, um, his instructor, Adam Schreiber, who's been with him forever, is a really good guy. His nickname is Caveman, and Adam's just – he's just a – he's a breed apart, and he got Anthony to do things in a swing, and he's always raved about – you know, the natural ability that Anthony brought to the tee. It's like he asked this kid to do something and two swings later, not only is he doing it, it's memorized and he just moves along. So it'll be, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see, but it it's kind of, you know, you kind of think about all that monetary stuff in there and you're like, well, he might've been the first guy to sign up. <laughs> well, Joe, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the question that I've been trying to figure out is, how is this all going to shake out with that with that policy? And he may not even need it because there hasn't really been too much talk on what they're paying him. But, you know, it's going to cover that and more. Um, so yeah, I thought it was reported seven and a half million signing. Was it? I think so. Seven. Yeah, doesn't that mean he's two and a half in the hole then? Because he's got to he's got to pay back that money. No, no. If Joe, if Joe if Joe is right, if they specifically listed all on the. Lloyd's of London, if it specifically listed all those tours, lives not one of those tours. Yeah, and I don't know that for fact, but you have to you have to surmise at some point. I would. They yeah, even sense. yeah, they even probably had, and this goes back to our generation, gents, is John Benda and the Asian tour at some point, you yeah. know. And so it's kind of interesting, but it is neat to Hell, see. It was probably still called the Ben Hogan tour at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's it's interesting, but it is kind of neat to see, uh, you know, how the game may reiterate. And, you know, like you said, it's it's, it's people going, is that who I think it is? 
<laughs> All right. So you, each of you three are far more accomplished in understanding the golf swing than than I. What'd you see, Andy? With Anthony Kim? Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. I mean, I think it's it's pretty basic and simple and mm -hmm. and good. Anything Not can anything can look good, like yeah. technically sound, but he, you got to think he's a decade from away or a decade from playing professional golf. So that's going to be the hard part where the rubber meets the road in tournament play. He is. I don't think he's going to sniff seventy five. I no, and yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, there's part of me that uh, on the teaching side of this. Uh, Brendan, you're, you're exactly right. And Andy, you know, it's, it's about getting those competitive reps in and he just has it, you know, yeah, you can, you can play some gambling games, but it's just different. And the one that still makes me scratch my head and makes me go, man, this, this cat is a really great player and he does know how to line it up is Brooks Kepka going mm -hmm. back off of live and you think, man, the guy's been playing in shorts. It's rock and roll golf. It's team golf. There's no way he's going to have that fortitude. It's a different type of competition. And lo and behold, he teed it up. But I think overall, Brooks is still getting some competitive reps in of a different form, but not having that. I'll be interested to see how that happens and how that fares out. I, I think that's a great point, Joe, <laughs> in the yep. sense that, that you could tell from from the uh, from the Netflix, you know, series that Brooks was still into competitive golf, and I think he was he was at a vulnerable moment when he signed up for Live because he was injured and he was dealing with some stuff. But he never gave up the dream of playing great in majors and doing all that stuff. Where you take someone like Dustin Johnson. You know, who I think basically set all that aside and said, this is my life now. I'm going to enjoy it. And whatever happens in those other tournaments happens. I think there's a big difference there. You're and way too fast that you pointed that out. <laughs> what? Yeah. If you're trying to imitate, imitate GJ, you're speaking, speaking way too fast right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good point, Alan. I mean, you see the two personalities, the complete contrast between Dustin and, and Brooks. Um, and Andy, I think you said it last year. Well, right after the show, the episode with Brooks aired when we talked about it, you were all for kind of his, the struggle he was going through. You could understand why he was having those thoughts. Cause at the time, I don't think he had made the leap yet. Um, and I, I hadn't liked Brooks up to that point, but that show kind of made me kind of think, this guy's got way more under the hood than than we can see on the surface. Um, he really wants it, and then and then to go around and prove it at the PGA last year. Oh, I mean, he was he was just as strong, if not stronger, and even at the Masters too. But, I was going to say he should have won. He, he probably should have won both of those. Right. Things. Right. Yep. Yeah. But he's a different breed, man. Like Joe said, he's a totally different breed. And DJ is on a uh, he's on a vacation right now, and he's playing golf with his buddies, and that's it. Jumping off the top top deck of the uh, party barge. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, Andy, we're back to it. What was the betting line? Because I I was bold, I was aggressive. I put the chips. I put the chips. Uh, well, then again, yeah. I put the chip. I put. I I predicted Charlie was going low, also, but we'll get to that in a minute. So our our quiet please prop bet of the week is Anthony Kim over under finishing in the top twenty five. Is he in the top twenty five or is he not? Yeah. Alan, what's your pick? Oh, I'm, I, he's not, I'm shocking. He's shocking the world. He's he's going fifteen. Uh, I I got to say top twenty five because I don't I don't think he's going to try and pull any miracles off. He's just going to hit some standard golf shots, and if he rolls a few putts in, and my rationale my rationale is he's the only one out there with something to prove. That's true. Uh, so I said in our text earlier this week that I took in, that I said he would make the top twenty five. Um, I thought you said DFL. And then I just said, then I just said <laughs> that he won't sniff 75. 
Well, we're talking live, so he could shoot 75, 75 and still break the top 25. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. <laughs> That's not the way those leaderboards go. I know. I know. I know. But he I'm going to say no. He would I'm be starting on hole number 12 then today. I'm going to say no. I'm going to. Is that the, the one with the windmill? Is that the 12 hole? <laughs> In the in the pure spirit of NFL Live, we have two that are taking the under and two that are taking mm -hmm. over. <laughs> and we got to we got to page over to the cameraman to go bear. What are your picks? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I think I think there's no way. No, he sniffs top twenty five. I mean, like look at look at Will Zalatoris. Okay, so Will didn't take eleven years off. He took one year off. Um, his first few events, he was shooting telephone numbers. Yeah. He's quickly gotten himself back into form. But to, to Joe's point, it, it's not about technique. It's not about what your swing looks like. It's about those competitive juices and like just dealing with the, the ultimate anxiety of teeing it up for pressure and having to count them all. And, and that just doesn't, reveal itself in one day no you know you got to get back used to that but andy he is does not have to play this week with the pressure of the team event <laughs> alan you're such you're such a a pointed comment i am on i am on point tonight andy. I'm just <laughs> I, I, really I, I rest my case <laughs> Ad, can I throw can I throw one of your segues in? Can I do a segue? You segue away, sir. Okay. So before Joe came on, Joe and I have known each other for several years, and I thought I knew a lot about Joe, but we're talking about all this live money. It would be good to have an accountant or former accountant on the show <laughs> to kind of hash all this money. And Joseph, I did not know prior to becoming a PGA professional that you were an accountant, man. I mean, I literally <laughs> was dude. That's the honest to God truth. I graduated with an accounting degree and as God is my witness, my, my dad used to always tell me, you're not going to college to be a golf pro son. You're going to college to be a doctor, an attorney or an accountant. Once you get out, you can try anything else you want. And you know, that I, that, Gosh, those are great days. In the cubicle, it was like Meerkat Manor. You'd stick your head up and see if anybody was in the <laughs> office, and then you'd come back down. <laughs> oh, let's just say I scored higher the math than the verbal, and that's what got me there. <laughs> that's awesome. So what tra What was the transition? Like, how did that all go down that you went from that to pursuing this? You know, in, in all seriousness, Brandon, uh, Brandon, we were, um, I mean, we've spent a lot of time around Central Florida. Yeah. And my mentor, uh, when I was a young man growing up at the Golden Hills Golf Club in Ocala, was a gentleman named Joe Lopez Jr. Yeah. And Joe Joe's father was a great player. He finished runner up to Sam Snead in the PGA years and years ago. And and there I was working away at accounting. And out of the blue, he called me one day at my desk and he said, young man, I don't know if you uh, realize, but I have qualified for the senior tour. And I did know that he qualified uh, at age 50. And he said, I, I can't pay you what they're paying you in the accounting world, but I need someone to come back and run my pro shop. And gentlemen, we all remember those days. Those are the days where the pro had the lockers and the bag store. So there was really kind of a lot to do yeah. And he said, I can't pay you, but I don't know if you'd be interested. And I said, Mr. Lopez, while you've been talking, I've cleaned out half my desk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and literally, I went in and spoke with the partner, a wonderful gentleman named Dave Sutton. And I sat down with him and Dave was so cool about it. He said, this is an opportunity you'll have once. And he said, I'm 110% behind it. And you had a job here and you will always have a job here if you want to come back. And we, Dave Sutton and I maintained contact for years and years and years and years after that. So, yes. And, and luckily, to my benefit, I never signed a wrong scorecard. I mean, there are some big numbers. Don't get me wrong. But I never signed a wrong scorecard. <laughs> you wouldn't hear the end of that if you did. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, somehow that transition, just uh, the right call at the right time. And, uh, man, it's uh, this this business in this game has been a blessing ever since. It really has. And I, I knew you. I first met you 
Well, I can't remember. I, I was it Red Tail, I think. I was gonna say definitely Red Tail. Yeah. Yeah. And then I again when you were working for the PGA uh, at the education center, I popped in when I was there becoming a pro. Um, yes. to see you. Um when did you so from Ocala to Red Tail, was that the path? And then you started working with MB and you started to get some bigger names. Is that kind of how things it, it- It kind of was that. And then realistically, I was teaching um, out at Redtail and I was doing some different things and working with PGA. And I I got a call from uh, Rick Martino, who talked to me about coming down and working at the Learning Center. Mm -hmm. And as things kind of transitioned down there, I happened to go down and just kind of be in the right place at the right time. And it was classic, gentlemen. There was, they said, could you come down a couple of weeks early? Cause we're shooting this thing with CBS called Get Golf Ready. And it's a great program that the PGA put together in kind of five days. And it was just the coolest thing because you got these five or six people who had kind of lapsed or had never played golf. And you never saw more people on day four with so much confidence. And this is just awesome. And then on day five, we said, well, we're going to go play. And randomly, we we decided, the PGA decided to bring J.J. Henry and Stacey Lewis out to join them. And all that confidence went right down the toilet. I mean, it couldn't have disappeared any faster. And at that particular moment, um, I just struck up a conversation with Stacey and developed a friendship. And about six months after that, she sent me an email that I still have. And uh, about once a year, I always text that young lady and I always tell her, I go, I don't know if I say thank you enough, but what you've done for me in my career um, pales to anything I've helped you with. And and she's done fairly well. So it's kind of a long, cool journey. I take it this wasn't the Club Pro Guys Learning Center. It was a different. (laughs) (laughs) No, but every once in a while, you got to go to the Club Pro Guys Learning Center to kind of bring everything back to like ground level on things right okay we're so far along what is the right pinky been at 16 degrees or 17 so what what is the old there was an old story about lou holtz and you know all the college football coaches always had the you know their their week update show or whatever there was there's just a classic clip of i think it was notre dame just got absolutely annihilated and he opens the show and he goes gentlemen this is a football (laughs) you always you always want to be able to back it up and start things where they start from but it's 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 been a crazy ride and uh you know thanks thanks to uh, you know the the accolade and the award i don't plan on slowing down anytime soon yes as as do none of us on this podcast i mean brendan you're going as hard as ever and it's all that there's something about this game. It, it gets in you, whether you're on the tee or whether you're helping or whether you're yeah. playing, you know, I mean, I mean, I know all of us last year, it was just like, man, if I could play like that, Michael block guy, could you imagine I would have retired? I would have, I literally might not have turned in a card after I made that hole in one and gone, doesn't get any better than this. I'm done. Exactly. Except his yep. up and down on the last hole was. Yeah, that, was, that was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Joe, so Joe, so before I ask this question, I do have to chime in on something. Because <laughs> Mr. Elliott sent me an email this week and I sent an email back to him just to I got a comp. Have you ever seen a guy with a signature line larger than Brendan Elliott's? I mean, it's like three books for all the things he does for the golf industry. And I'm I'm just telling you right now, folks. I am in awe. This man does more for the golf than anybody I know. So when I, you said that, when you said that to me, I chopped like five lines off. And now yeah. that you mentioned it on the on the show, I'm gonna really chop that shit. Do not down. trim that down. I love it. <laughs> the, the, I, shared, the, the, I shared I shared that with with Riley, and I was like, she goes, <laughs> that's imp- she goes, that's impressive. That's the the only thing I I ever know is Brendan. Whenever you sell, send me an email. There's no chance the email will be as long as your sign-off line. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, look, there is something to that, and maybe Joe can speak on this because I know Andy can, and actually all of you guys. But when I got into this business, it was I watched my club pro that I grew up uh, up in upstate New York, and I was leafing through his uh, 
teaching manual. Um, and to me, that was a club pro, the guy that owned the shop. And like Joe said, he got a little, a little take on the pool carts and rental carts and the lockers. And since then, since getting into the business, it's just so one, the people are fantastic. But because of that, if you really kind of try to go one route, I don't think you possibly can if you want to stay relevant in this business. Um, so I just got really comfortable with doing uncomfortable things. Like I wasn't a teacher when I got into this business. Um, and I found later in my career that that's what I loved. And I didn't know that when I first started. And I'm not like Joe. I didn't come into this business with something else as my career path. Um, so this was everything. And you got anybody that works in the industry kind of gets it. But for those that listen to the show that aren't in the industry, you have to really golf pros really have to love the game because it's not an easy business. And you it takes you in so many different directions. Well, I started as a touring professional, as Andy can attest from my. <laughs> yes, I can. Attest. No, but uh, no, in all serious, I remember one time being a camel or a counter jockey and uh, I'm standing there talking to somebody and they're like, oh, I getting out to play much. And I'm like, I haven't played in two months as a guy's walking by and the door hasn't shut as he's walking. And he goes, yeah, Jim, this guy works at a golf course and hasn't played in two months that's the nature of the beast. Sometimes we just, yeah. it's, you got to love the, the game and speaking of love in the game goes to imparting knowledge on the game. Joe, you got to tell everybody for the listeners out there. I, I, I mean, club club professional of the year, obviously a lot of people like to point to that to be the top. I personally feel the teacher of the year is, yep. the, is the pinnacle award in the PGA's uh, wheelhouse. One, how does it feel? Two, tell everybody about the process on how you, I mean, people don't understand how you get nominated for that those awards. All right, I'll I'll, I'll let you guys in on two things and I've, okay. I've shared them with, uh, and one of them is, gentlemen, as you know, our PGA president, John Lindert, mm-hmm. who has been a, he's been a friend of mine for 15, gosh, maybe almost going on 20 years now. And he's such a great guy to begin with, right? So, and Brendan, you've had this phone call before and, and it's literally the day before Thanksgiving and I'm literally sitting here in my office and I, I look at my phone and I see John's face on there and me being me, I pick up the phone and it's the day before Thanksgiving. And I say, well, if I can't eat turkey today, I might as well talk to one. <laughs> and John, John says, I'm going to make you eat your words right about now. <laughs> So there's there there's a process of you know of like kind of within the sections you you might win your chapter award and then the uh, in Tennessee there's three different chapters specific chapters and then you're up for the section award and then when no, you nominate, uh, nominated by your peers correct? yes 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 and um, you know when then you are submitted for a national award and you've got 41 sections. And it's it's a process where you fill out an application and, you know, it's uh, as Brendan will attest to, it's it's a pretty in-depth process. And it kind of really the, the good part is at the end of it, it really takes you make it makes you take account of yourself to the to the things that you've done and the things that you go, man, I still have some open areas here that I think I could do better for my students, better for my association and and be you know kind of fill myself out a little bit more as a more rounded teacher um and then you know that that election process kind of goes spans almost i i, I want to say almost like 12 weeks where they narrow it from 41 they basically it's kind of half-life of uranium right and then it goes down to kind of 20 and then it goes down to 10 and then if you're lucky enough to make it towards the final uh, four, it's out of the elite. It's kind of like March Madness, right? It's out of the final four, the elite eight. And then basically they, then you really have to kind of do a little bit more of an in-depth process. And it's, I, I mean, I will tell you, it left me absolutely speechless. And on a very, very personal level, uh, Brandon, the first guy I called was Joe Lopez. And I literally got so choked up on the phone that my wife had to talk for me. And it was, 
it's just that meaningful. It just, I, I, I mean, it's, it's like this big gut punch of humbleness that is so fantastic, you know, and it's just, it just makes you want to go do more. And of course, my wife, Jenny looked at me and she goes, well, so much for slowing down the next couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't know, Joe, where I saw this, but maybe it was on the golf channel. You got interviewed or whatever. And, and honestly, when you started talking about Joe Lopez and about, you know, your first phone call, it, that was moving because it, it really, it really stuck with me that, you know, and Brendan, kind of to what you were saying too, the golf profession is really about what you make of it. Right. You know, I mean, you get, you get to be a member of the PGA by doing the, the things that you need to do, paying your dues. But, but then at the end of the day, you, your success is what you do with it. Like you can, you can teach, you can write, you can merchandise, you can, manage like there's so many things you can do inside of that bubble of the pga of america and and to be able to ascend to to that level in one of those things and and i agree with brendan i think to me when i think of pga of america teaching is first you know that's that's yeah always been the number one function of pga of america and for you to ascend to that spot and and to have the humility of understanding where it all came from, that was moving to me to watch that. And, it's you know, I, I mean, can't congratulate you enough on that. Thanks, and and you know, and me being the sarcastic guy that I am, I also said, well, I've I've joined a pretty influential village, and every village needs its idiot. So I'm <laughs> glad that they they like me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, to to me, what Alan was saying about that being, and Andy just reiterated the the essence of what we do as golf professionals, as PGA members, is make people enjoy the game. And yeah. there's a multitude of ways we can do that. And I, I focus on kids. You you work with some tour pros, LPGA tour pros, but you work with the average golfer too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and it's uh, it's. It, helping people enjoy the game more, um, it's it doesn't get any better than that. And it took me a couple years to to understand that that when you can get somebody to enjoy the game, no matter what level they're at, whether they're somebody that's looking to play competitively or somebody that's just trying to break a hundred, there's just something about it. You know, there's just something special about it. Oh, dude, dude, when you when you put that smile on that guy or that gal's face and they're like, man, I, I finally broke 90. You're like, that is the coolest thing you could possibly do. And it's like all of us here involved in this business are, you know, that's the buzzword today is it's like it's about the experience. It's got to be a great experience. We've been doing experience for. Well, some of us been doing it for 45 years, it seems like, but mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's really what it is. So when you when you dive into the, the, the swing itself, <coughs> as someone that's working with touring professionals, as Brendan said, or down to the 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 average Joe, as they say, to the to the listener, how do they, what are the takeaways from your perspective? What are the things that you the the common things that you they they really need to focus on to get back to basics to to see a way to improve it. Man, honestly, I think the the okay the the beginner and the the novice they eat up the fundamentals of the game because they want to get that part right and they just you know hopefully their PGA professional has kind of showed them and gone this is really important man like. Harvey Penick was 90 some odd years old and he's still talking about the grip, right? And, but the, the beginner and the novice, they really eat that up. And then all of a sudden we get in this little rabbit hole where we all of a sudden we're down and we're, you know, we're kind of looking at these angles and measurements. And, and then when you get out there and you, you watch the players as they progress and they finally get out to the tour, it's funny, but bringing them back to the basics at that level is, and 
And the beginner understands it. The tour player understands it. It's the guy or the gal that's really competitive. That's almost where they want to go. And they go, I know there's something more. I know there's something more. There's got to be a better pair of socks that I can wear. That'll help me, you know, with my ground force reactions. Uh, Bernie Najar, who's an incredible instructor, said something. And Bernie, for those of you who don't know him, um, teaches a gentleman named Kyle Berkshire. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Bernie is so deviously quiet and he kind of was chatting with me the other day and he goes, you know, we've got all this stuff and we've got force plates and ground reactions and, you know, uh, verticals and rotationals and horizontals. And he goes, all that is great. But if it doesn't reach the club, it's kind of a moot point, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, so you're working on the release is what you're telling me. He goes, Exactly. He said, for our average players, maybe the way to develop more distance is to learn how to release the club a little bit, which is, that goes, and as we talk about the game, that goes right back to Bob Toski, you know, 40 years ago with no track men and all that. And it's kind of crazy. Just, you always have to kind of sprinkle or sprouse in some of the basic, even when it gets very, very complex. So you know, the swing, I mean, Bill Strasbaugh said it best. It's 98% set up, 2% takeaway, and the rest is up to God. And if you can get those two pieces right, you got a shot. You really, really do. I'm curious what what technology, with that said, and I totally 100% agree, what technology do you use on a regular basis? Definitely, I, I use a ton of camera work. Um, I got a ton of money invested in cameras. And it turns out this guy here is as good as any of the cameras that are out there today. Yep. yep. Um, we do, we have uh, SkyTrack and FlightScope. And I mean, t- I, you know, with much credit to TrackMan, um, I love there and they were the innovators, but we, we got enough members and enough kids that are carrying out their own TrackMan. So we decided we're not going to go buy one because half the people are showing up, especially the college kids have that anyway. Yeah. Um, a little bit of force plate stuff. And, you know, we use uh, like the DeWiz yep. or yeah. uh, Blast Motion. Yep. I kind of like that. That it, It's kind of a different way to get a reading that when someone's really kind of going, oh, man, my path or whatever. And it's like, let's see if we can change this number a little bit. Yeah. I, it, I, I really have so much respect for those guys that that teach off of that. and. I'm going to throw this out there for what it's worth and it's not belittling or anything to anybody, but you, you look at the guys that are like the track man maestro, Joe Mayo. Okay. And when those guys that got into that technology really early, they knew how to read the numbers. I mean, Chuck cook, you're never going to find a guy who can fix a swing faster without any technology than Chuck cook, literally. But Chuck also understands that technology. And then all of a sudden, and this isn't a bane. This is what happens in every industry a little bit. But as instructors, and I know this from teaching some of the PGA courses, we had so much of the next generation of kids coming up. And they're all about the numbers. And they're all about this. And OK, well, yes, you're plus seven, but your face is closing at, you know, 850 millibars per second. And then the player looks at him and goes, what does that mean? And he goes, I don't know what it means, but that's what's happening. And then. <laughs> But now there's been that little lag where all of a sudden they go, oh, my gosh, I'm just giving them the information. I have to give them the solution. Right. And we have a great instructor here in our section, Ben Pelicani, and he's a disciple of Mike Bender. And he's, he has a great seminar coming out for our section called The Art of Teaching. And that, that's really what's kind of coming back is that little bit of, you know, can you sprinkle the special sauce on it and go, James Lights is great at that. You know, he kind of puts all the numbers up there and someone goes, what does that mean? He goes, that means I'm facing the TV the wrong direction. He turns it around and he goes, let's talk about your swing. (laughs) Joe, what you're basically saying, and this is something I'm so proud of, because you might be the first year that they changed it. Maybe it was last year, but the award has coach in in the name, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we've lost, we lost that for so long, as you're talking about that, the most important thing that we do isn't necessarily the instruction. It's the coaching piece. And it's, it's moving people along the pathway and things that have nothing to do with the mechanics is ultimately what's what helps people in the long run. 
that really, it really, really is that the coach aspect is the biggest part. And guys, for what it's worth, I do very, very little social media. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm probably basically socially unacceptable is why I don't do a lot of social media. But, you know, one of the neat things is, is that at a higher level, players will confide in you a little bit more if they know everything is not going to go. And part of that coaching is, you know, sometimes they just want to talk about, and that, that doesn't have to be a tour player. It could be a college player and go, you know, can I talk to you for a minute? And you're like, okay, what's going on in your game? It's not my game. I'm, I'm taking too many classes and I'm really, I'm trying to overdo this. And what do I do? And, <clears throat> you know, if you have hair, my color, apparently you're supposed to have the answer, but, <laughs> but there is. And that's, that's where that coach, Brendan, as you're saying, you become a motivator and just to, just to get people to always keep a positive attitude about their game. And, you know, it's kind of like if, if your life isn't going the way you want it, you want to escape and go to the golf course and at least have something good happen there. And if something good happens there, then maybe you can turn around and head back towards regular life and go, okay, I got this. And yeah. that's, that's where we're kind of that coach. So Joe, here's, here's the question for you. Two, two parts. One is for the for the golfers out there that want to learn more about a little bit. I realize you're uh, not on social media, but I do know you have a website. How do people find you to find out a little bit more about things that you're putting out there uh, and your teaching ideas? And then secondly, after you answer that, roll into what happened to Charlie Woods. Oh, my gosh. So you can go to joehallettgolf.com, but I actually am on I have an Instagram account and one of uh, our partners, after I gave my Instagram account, he said, is this a new account? And I go, well, I've had it for about six months. And he goes, you have like 21 followers. I go, you want to see my Twitter account? I've had that for about seven years and I have 78 followers. So. <laughs> but yes, I am on Twitter and I am on or X and I am on uh, Instagram and we're trying to do some more things and more, more fun things, you know, and do you have simple solutions. Yes, joehallettgolf.com is the website. And, and, and you know what? You should, you should absolutely check that out without question. And I'll, I'll even give out to you my email, which Brendan and when we all got into the PGA, you know, you get, you, you pass all your tests and then it says, uh, you know, now you can, okay, here's your profile. You can pick an email. And I thought, well, I could put Joe Hallett at PGA and Randomly, I thought, eh, what the heck? I'll type in the PGA guy at PGA. Bingo, I got it. And at that point, I thought, there's 26,000 people in this organization, and this is not the most creative bunch that I've ever hung around. <laughs> I was like, certainly somebody has to have taken that. So I am quickly, the PGA quickly guy. Quickly rose here. to the top. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, Charlie Woods. Oh, man, I, I love, I know you guys probably saw what Club Pro guy says, you know, whatever he says, I'm sure Charlie would tell you he left a few shots out there. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of pressure in there, but that, that kid is impressive, especially to watch him play with Tiger and, you know, just the mannerisms itself. Um, I do think <clears throat> probably a lot of, you know, I mean, there's a lot of internal pressure there, you would think. And I, I think being Tiger's son, but I'm, I'm always related to this. There's a young man uh, that I taught years ago named Stephen Bradley, who's the coach over at University of South Florida. And one of bull. the... He's a bull. Yes. I played, and I played bull golf. One of the... Uh, oh, gosh. Then please remind me. And I, I'm not sure if they... Was it the claw? Yeah. yeah. They just closed it. Oh. Yeah. God, that was that golf course was the hard. God <laughs> awful. Oh, if you if you could play the claw every day and keep it at par a little bit better, you had temperament, game, and every other thing that was needed, which but nobody I, ever was able to do. <laughs> I'm always reminded. I watched Stephen and one of the young men on his team um, was Chris DeMarco's son. Yeah, yeah. And just to hear his reaction, it's a practice round, and he hits this putt, and it just 
just misses the hole. And his teammate goes, that was a good putt. And without missing a beat, DeMarco's kid looks at him and he goes, no, it wasn't a good putt goes in the hole. You're like, you know, and so that internal training that's coming from a tour player or a high level player, I think, I don't think it's not only the expectations, it's just the everyday is no, a good putt goes in the hole. No, a good iron shot goes on the green. Well, you hit it well. Hit it well doesn't matter. Did it get on, you know? So I, I think he brings that to the table, which is probably a little bit of a leg up. But I, I got to imagine he had a little internal pressure that he was putting on himself. What, what do you all think? Well, Andy, he was the first one on the range that morning. You had him. You had him. Uh, well, that, was, that was our prop end of the week last week, Joe, and it was 76. Would he go over or under? And uh, shall we review what the over unders were? I was over. Oh, I, pay, I, I paid out. Yeah, <laughs> I was Brendan, over. Brendan was over, and Alan owes us both a thousand dollars. So, if <laughs> wait a minute, I thought Bogey was your friend, except for that one hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we uh and and look, I didn't he cut Tiger by one at Augusta though, a, a twelve versus a thirteen or. <laughs> maybe but he he's 15 years old he doesn't play golf courses that are set up like that no. mm-hmm. and i'm sure that there is there was as much as he's under the microscope i'm sure it was even more so that day so i mean to expect that he would he would have a good outing just isn't realistic yeah i yeah. agree and I, yeah. the question that I kept seeing on social, because um, I wrote about this with a new, a new website I'm writing for, um, the the pressure. We'll go back to what Joe was talking about the pressure, but I don't know why. Like why? Why were you even trying to pre qualify for a PGA Tour event? I just that, and I and I do think that Tiger's doing an exceptional job. With oh my gosh. Everything yeah. he needs to do as a father, as a coach, you know, someone that's walked this path before. Um, so I think he's doing good in that respect. And then and then he whoever made the decision for Charlie to play in this, that I started to scratch my head at that point. That's where but, I, but think about this, Brendan. Next time he tees it up to qualify won't be his first time. Well, that's true. Yeah. It'll be his second time. He'll have experience under the belt. And it, it's, it's all that building blocks of, of experience, right? So yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with you know, having that happen like it did so, last year. So forgive me if I call out, I think it's the South Florida PGA, but they were not prepared to protect no. that kid. All 50, 100 people, women taking their kids out of school to get autographs. People chasing his golf ball into the woods, pushing up, asking for signatures in the middle of the fairway. That's absurd. Yes. My buddy yeah. Scott, my buddy Scott was there, but he was there watching Olin Brown Jr. Um, oh, wow. Who was, was paired with him. Uh, but he left after seven holes or midway through Charlie's 12 that he was making on the seventh hole. Um, but he said it was a nightmare out there. Like, like it was out of control. Interesting. Anyway, where the crowds were a little less, but the golf was maybe a little better, was down Metigo Way, where there were cracking Coronas, especially if you were Jake Knapp, Brennan. I love the story of this kid. And, and I wrote an article about this too. Like everybody was... Well, you look like you got a little bar neon light light in the background. He might have been te- he might have been the uh, guard in the door there for you. But here's the thing, and, I, and Joe, you're 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 a smarter guy than the rest of us for staying away from social media because I get so freaking irritated with the enough with the tiger and Charlie, you know, commentary, and that we want new blood or want you to write about new people, so we write about this Jake Knapp kid, or this is a great story. Oh, the field was weak. There wasn't anybody playing. There is no weak field on the PGA tour. I'm sorry. And what did he shoot that last day again? What did he he have? 60. uh, What did he shoot the final round? 62. Eight birdies. Wasn't it? Or something. It was amazing. It's just like, 
this story is just as important as Tiger coming back and making a cut on a different levels, on totally different levels, but it's just as important. So they should praise anybody that wins for the first time, regardless of the field strength. I hate that. I hate that. That drives me crazy. Yeah, well, go, go, so go to he, the Amex and look at Nick Dunlap. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, he had a four-shot lead going into the last day. He coughs that up fairly quickly, but settles himself down. To mm-hmm. come back to come back and win this thing. And you want to talk about field strength. Correct me if I'm wrong. Tony Finau, defending yeah. champion, plays mm-hmm. amazing at that prop or that place. He's in the field. So there's there wasn't like there wasn't a lack of players there. And and Joe, how effortless is that kid's swing? Oh. Oh. <laughs> He's like, he might be, if he did that 23 and me, he may be in Ernie Els's family tree line at some point (laughs) it's amazing it's you know there's just first of all i mean the the effortlessness but still to hit the ball the distance these guys are hitting it is phenomenal and i mean if you want to follow tempo tempo that is the guy to watch right now there's no question about it yeah i think i think it's i i hate people who bash the media but um I just think it's it's too easy for people to say, you know, he was a bouncer. He's He's been a really good player for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he played at UCLA. I mean, uh, like, like let's not let's not over exaggerate the point that someone dragged him out of, you know, Charlie's bar on the corner and, and threw him on the first tee and he went and won. No, I, I Andy, I, I referenced that because one, they're writing about it, two, as part of his his lore history, yeah his history his lore but th- but three is just the level of perseverance and that's why to burn yeah. point, it's a great story this kid didn't give up right but all i'm saying though is that it's not like like he didn't have a lot of great golf behind him leading up to this and a lot of good training i mean he's i think dana dalquist works with him and he, yeah. he's just He's just super impressive. Um, and I think I'll save my my the rest of my commentary for the 18th tee. But. Well, hey, he's, Andy, he, he's, without question, he's hot, but not as hot as Joe's about to get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one thing at you before you grill me here, all right? <laughs> and that is, and there's a, there's a funny correlation, but all the time you hear is, well, it's kind of a weak field. You know what the you know what the antithesis is of a weak field? You better make a boatload of birdies because you're not even going to make the cut. You you might you shoot six hundred for two days. You're not going to make the cut. So weak field, whatever you want to call it, that kid learned how to make a ton of birdies. And better yet, he learned how to collect himself back and go. I can still do this on a seventy five hundred yard golf course. Yeah. It was a- yes. Yeah. Well- with jets taking off in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Mr. Hydori. I feel the heat. Uh oh. Joe Hallett, welcome to the quiet, please. Back nine hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a simple nine holes of the back nine, question each hole. And yes, sir. basically just answer whatever is at the top of your your uh or the tip of your tongue and the top of your mind and and uh rapid fire no wrong answer so what's what's your lowest 18 hole score 65 what are your three favorite golf courses you've played the win in las vegas and i would say the win in las vegas twice because it's (laughs) just not supposed to be there nothing makes sense and it's hard to rule out you're going to laugh at this. The cradle at Pinehurst. Oh, it's awesome. so much fun. I agree. What three courses that you have not played would you like to play? I definitely want to go to Bandon and experiment and just spend the week there and see them all. I definitely want to go to Sand Hills. And... There's probably another one on my list. I, I kicked a few bucket lists off 
a couple of years ago by going to Scotland, but I saw a few over there that I might want to really play more. So, nice. all right, we'll leave, we'll leave that at two. Um, but this one, we're going to keep at three. So name the three best golfers of all time in no order. Three best golfers of all time. Nicholas obviously has to be on there. One who always amazed me for consistency, Dr. Gil Morgan. Wow. The man was a fairway and a green hitting machine. Um, I'm going to throw a Furick into the mix. First one to leave Tiger off the list. He's a given, though. No, there are no, no given. No, 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 no. <laughs> How about Tiger Furick or Jim Woods? <laughs> there you, there you go. <laughs> What's the best part of your game? Putting. Okay, what skill is most important for a player to play good golf? Doesn't have to be physical. They got to have a good short game. Literally have to have a sh good short game. Yep. Who is your favorite golfer, past or present? Mm. I love the big easy. I really do. Yep. Uh, quickly describe, this is my favorite question. Quickly describe the best shot you've ever hit, time, place, situation. I'm debating which one I'm going to tell you about. <laughs> Let's just say it was at Furman University on the eighth hole during a qualifier where I bladed my eight iron over the green into the woods, chucked my eight iron into the bushes to the side of the tee, and then I grabbed my nine iron out and made a very unusual par. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes, awesome. and I was not going to look for that first ball. It was lost, period. <laughs> and, and your partners went, oh, I think I see it. <laughs> yeah, get away from there. <laughs> okay, what do you cherish the most about the game of golf? Oh, those, those random experiences with your friends – and it isn't so much about the score. It's generally about a shot that they hit that you can recall 20 years later and go, you remember that three wood you hit on 16? That's still one of the greatest shots I've ever seen. Awesome. Okay, 19th hole. How many holes in one do you have on your record? On my record? So you can't count that par <laughs> I made, huh? No, that doesn't count. You got to write one on the card. <laughs> <clears throat> I believe my count is five, All right. if I'm not incorrect. It is five. And can I tell you about the probably the funniest one? Sure. Playing in Silver Spring Shores, back then it was the Space Coast Tour. J.C. Goosey was running it. Oh, yeah. And there's something I always wanted to do when I was playing. And so we make the loop. We get to the 16th hole. It's a short par five. And I'm playing with a former college teammate of mine. And I cut the corner, I hit the green with an eight iron, I got 16 feet for eagle. And I look at Steve and I go, I'm in a predicament here. And he goes, what? I go, I've always wanted to have a scorecard of straight fours. And he goes, what are you going to try and miss a 16 foot eagle putt up the hill? And I go, well, I'm going to try and get it close. And I did. And on the very next hole, I pulled a six iron out. It took one bounce, it went in the hole and I went, oh, crap. <laughs> And I still have that scorecard. It is 17 fours and a one. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That is awesome. Well, thank you for playing our game. That was fun. All right, Brennan, 18th green, flagstick, getting ready to put in. Final thoughts, sir. Uh, first and foremost, thank you, Joseph, for coming on. Um, you know, when when you we were texting about something, oh, it was when you don't you did the donation for our little linksters auction. You had said that you had had something coming up that you couldn't really talk about, but I knew all about. And I man, I I knew, immediately knew what you were talking about. Um, and I was so proud, man. I was so happy because you're one of the nicest guys in the business. And and you know, right. the, the relationship we have, you being on the board for Little Linksters, I sincerely appreciate that. So congratulations on the award. 
Um, and my final thought, I am very excited about my favorite event, my favorite place to be, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Um, my favorite non-major, I should say, because I am Augusta freak. Um, but that's coming up soon and really looking forward to getting out there to Bay Hill. I played Bay Hill a dozen times. I just, the feeling you get there, I've met Arnie twice, talked to him for about 20 minutes one time in the parking lot when he was walking his dog. So I just have all the feels when I go to Bay Hill, especially for the tournament. Joe, that, final thought. That, that's, uh, I'll tell you what, and just I'll kind of dovetail on that. Um, I had, I still have a picture and it's, it's upstairs, but when I was a young man, I got to go to the Arnold Palmer Jr. Academy at Bay Hill mm -hmm. and Mr. Palmer came out and naturally me being kind of a dorky junior kid, um, there's a picture of Arnie standing next to me and he has his hand right over my shirt because only I would have worn a golden bear Jack Nicholas shirt <laughs> to the course that day. And he looked at me and he said, son, you've got a long way to go. <laughs> and man, I, I think where the game is right now is really cool. And I love this Florida swing coming up. I love watching Bay Hill because there's just so much respect for that tournament. And just it means so much every year when those guys come down. I'm looking forward to it. And I hope you'll have me back on one time. This is a heck of a lot of fun. Absolutely. Andy? Uh, well, Joe, all I can say is, and again, heartfelt congratulations on, on your award. I think it's awesome. Thank you for coming on. And I just know that we will certainly call you out again for, for uh, you know, saying that you'd come on again, because we'd love to have you again. Um, so I have, I have, Two things a little bit live related here. First one is the, the Taylor Gooch, you know, yeah. loose lips thing going around where, you know, he, he thought he was going to be, you know, kind of the sharp guy and say that if Rory wins at Augusta, there should be an asterisk um, there. And I, I just think it's, it's just such a, such a, a, I don't know, a disingenuous way of looking at, the world of professional golf right now. And I think if you look at the field at the masters, there are an awful lot of live people there. And, and if you're not there, Taylor, I kind of think that that's your fault. Um, and there's not going to be any asterisk in any record book because you weren't there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I just think that that's a little bit ridiculous. Um, and the bigger picture I think there's a lot of talk about the lack of of quality of the fields like we we talked about earlier on the PGA Tour. And <coughs> one of the things that happened with Live is it took away a bunch of tour players and opened up for other corn ferry players and international players to come up and start playing on the PGA Tour. And make no mistake, these are not players who aren't worthy. These are great oh. players. Who have taken care of the uh, taken advantage of the opportunity to go out there and start proving themselves. So if not everybody's recognizing the names on the leaderboard every week, it's not because it's a weak field. It's just a bunch of new players that in in the process. And the greatest thing about the PGA Tour is it feeds golfers, developing professional golfers from underneath. And you know we all talked about this before. Will Zalatoris, no one knew who he was three years ago, right? Yep. And there's a lot of names just like that that we'll continue to see come up. And they're playing great golf. My final thoughts, I'm going to chime in also. Quick, Two quick thoughts. One, I'm seeing more and more of these pictures coming out of Cabot Citrus Farms. Yeah. And I am oh. putting it down right now. We're going on a road trip because <laughs> I want to play that place. There you go. So that's that's number one. Number two, I generally don't promote TV because uh, I'm not a big TV watcher. But Full Swing Two oh, yes. coming out March sixth, mm -hmm. and what immediately caught my eye is something as it relates to one of our former guests. Uh, I guess there's a big piece in there about Keegan, yeah. and we really get an appreciation for how the 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 Ryder Cup snub what it meant to him. So 
tune in Netflix full swing to my final thought. My, what my final, final thought is Jake Knapp. Adios, amigo. Good job. You only have one opportunity to sell your golf property. Shouldn't you partner with an expert that offers you 30 plus years of golf industry experience combined with the reach of a global leader in real estate? Collier's International Golf Brokerage and Advisory Services understands your unique business needs. Whether it is brokerage, management, and consulting, be reassured that the market leader in the business of golf is providing you the real answers and practical solutions you deserve. Contact Golf Talk Live co-host and Collier's Golf Advisory Services member, Alan DePew, today at 717-554-8519. That's 717-554-8519.